Welcome back to the Dog Sitting Podcast, everybody. We're going to talk about from one's ready stuff in this edition. What's up? You got me, you got Trent, you got Peaches, and you've got Carrie Kite, one of my favorite people in the entire world, former Air Force Airman, digital content creator, producer, director, creator of all things. Carrie, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I am great. Uh, thanks for having me. Hope I can live up to that intro. Um, I've also got both my dogs here. Uh, so this is in fact... <laughs> The dog sitting See, they're uh, busy they're busy doing I, stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're wrestling this is a yeah, dog friendly busy. space <laughs> dog friendly space this week we're gonna get into all your work with veteran made pod which i i love it's a new podcast you're you're so hot veteran made pod right now so we're definitely going to talk about that later in the thing but take us all the way back to the beginning man like how did how did we meet how did your you know uh, how did your path get you to where you are yeah, for sure. So uh, great to be to be with all three of you, Aaron. Uh, great to be with you again, Trent and Peaches. Great to uh, meet you uh, officially uh, for the first time. Um, I'm I'm stoked to be here. Really appreciate what y'all do for uh, for the the Air Force community, the military community in general, and obviously for the aspect war community specifically. Um, which you know, I so I enlisted in the Air Force um, as a as a PJ or a, a PJ slot. Um, you know, my, and that's where I met Aaron at Indoc. Um, I was, I was sitting at the, uh, the old, old, uh, dorms at Medina with my door open, uh, just, just waiting to get smoked and, uh, was sitting at the desk and I heard from across the hall as somebody came barreling down, what do you know about those Ohio state Buckeyes? And I looked down and I'm like, Oh, I've got my Ohio state shirt on. And, uh, I threw Aaron an OH. He gave me an IO back and, uh, feel like we've been, we've been friends ever since. Um, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) that was what I was just waiting. I was like, well, who's, it's going to be Trent. I knew who it was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to be. So how dare you in this time of healing for Ohio, the breadbasket of America, you you give it a second, Trenton. You give it a second. Well, shouts out, shouts out to Nate Gladden too. That one, that one was was also for uh, for him. Um, <laughs> exactly. He's been wearing that hail sweatshirt and taking pictures and putting it on Instagram too much recently. Um, but uh, but yeah, all 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 joking aside, yeah, uh, that's where Aaron and I met. I, so I, I enlisted. Um, you know, I partly enlisted because you know patriotism wanted to serve the country, wanted to give back. My grandfather was in the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, my uncle was in the Marine Corps. Um, but military wasn't like a, a, a huge thing in the family, but service, um, to community and service to, um, to, you know, family and country was, was certainly part of it. And so, you know, I struggled a bit in high school, played football, was good enough to go play D2, D3, but, um, ultimately you, you need better grades than I had to, to go to a small liberal arts college and, and get an academic scholarship. And so, you know, dad, dad and I had a, had an agreement that if, if I earned half through, you know, grants and scholarships, he would. He would um, split the other half. Um, I got about a third and asked him if there was wiggle room. And he said, absolutely not. And I said, great, I'm going to look at some other options. Uh, and so <laughs> ultimately landed on on enlisting in the Air Force. And kind of a funny story. I had, you know, the, the recruiter came to the school and um, kind of was going through his, his little pamphlet. And I wasn't really listening. And he got to a page where there was a commando with a rucksack. And, you know, fatigues at the times that I didn't know they were called BDUs kind of lurking through the jungle, had face paint and all that shit on. And um, I stopped him. I said, what is that? He said, um, he said, that's um, Air Force Special Operations. I said, well, I would like to do that. That looks cool. Um, and he goes, well, there's two. There's combat control and there's pararescue. This was obviously at, at the time uh, back in 2006. And, uh, and I said, which one's harder? 
And he said, uh, well, they call the pararescue pipeline uh, Superman school. And I said, great, let's do that one. And, uh, and he said, are, 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 you, are, you, are you sure? Like, you don't want to hear the rest of the thing? And I said, no, 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 let, let's do that. I, I was kind of in this, this mind, mindset and headspace of like going to do something hard, going to challenge myself, you know, and, and just kind of get out and, and go explore and go on an adventure and, and do something. And um, I did and, the same uh, thing, but that's, that's where the Ohio comes in because you're really looking for something else. You know, after 18 years of exposure <laughs> to Northeast Ohio, you're like, well, for me, you know, for me in Northeast Ohio, you're, you're like, you know what I could do? pretty much anything else. So of course you thought that, you know, the <laughs> wide open plains of San Antonio, Texas and the pararescue pipeline, of course you're like, no, that sounds great. This is going to suck in a different way. Oh, okay. Tight, 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 tight. Right. Right. I was in central Ohio. So I was in Northwest Columbus. Um, and I'd actually split time growing up between San Diego and Columbus. And so that's what the next thing the recruiter said was, he goes, well, you know, there's a swimming component to this, right? Uh, and I said, no, I, I don't know anything. So just tell me what I need to know. And so he, he kind of went through the past test and, you know, she told me about the run and, and the swim and the push-ups and the pull-ups and the sit-ups. And I'm like, oh, I, I could I could do that. I you know played three sports, basketball, football, track. And he goes, what about the swimming? I was like, well, I actually grew up in San Diego too, kind of going back and forth with divorced parents and played water polo and swam growing up. He's like, oh, okay, cool. So he scheduled the past um, and I passed it, was super stoked uh, and graduated from high school and then spent the summer working at uh, Steak and Shake at home, waiting tables and just kind of getting ready. Uh, to go whenever a slot opened up. And over the summer, a slot opened up in the fall. Uh, so I went in October uh, to, to basic, uh, went to basic. Um, another another funny story. I got recycled in basic for not wearing underwear because I had to go back to uh, uh, issue two, I think they call it, to get the blues. And I just needed a size up. And so I didn't have any, I didn't have any underwear on. And so I got there and I just asked for a size up of the pants. And the woman was like, no, we got to, you have to try them on. I'm like, I, I, I can't do that. She said, why not? I told her why. And she goes, oh, you got to go back and talk to your TI. So I marched all the way back, got recycled. So that actually- that, that commando thing very literally, didn't you? Wait, right, exactly. oh God. Trent. <laughs> shows you, shows you uh, Trent. how little I knew. Um, and so I, so I actually, because I got recycled, I, I got to in dock a little late, but also it was December. And so the next class- they, they, I don't know if, I don't know exactly how it worked, but I just remember there being basically like everybody was kind of going through with the recyclees and kind of going through a prep, getting ready for the next course to start in January. So I, I showed up and I was a week behind, you know, everybody else that was supposed to show up for that, for that class. And so kind of started off uh, on the, on the wrong foot, had to explain to everybody why I was late and why I got recycled. And, and so obviously not, not the best foundation to build on. What a there. ridiculous oh, thing. Just hilarious. Just, hilarious. just right away. You're just like, oh, okay, so I didn't wear underwear. And then you got to tell everybody like <laughs> transition well, was, to that story. Yeah. And the first time, you know, I'm like sitting on the mats at, at, at the old complex and, and, um, we're sitting and, and, um, can I say instructor names from back then? I don't. Yeah, I'm sure. I guess. I don't think that we we have many times. Yeah. Sergeant, Sergeant Maroney, he was a civilian at the time. Walks in and and the somebody said Team Ten Hut, and everybody sat kind of sat up. But in my head, I'm like, well, you can't go to attention when you're sitting down. So I don't, I don't really know what to do. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, Ricky Bobby. Like I don't know what to do with my hands. And so and he just walked by and goes, new guy, and then keeps it moving. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> um. So so yeah. So I kind of started off with that that really odd. Um, foundation and um went through the first class got recycled uh for pull-ups and then um kind of as i was working with the other recyclees 
kind of waiting. That's when Aaron showed up and um, was actually instrumental in in um, helping me through the pull-ups portion, which was really difficult because I'd done a lot of sports growing up, but none of which required pull-ups. And so I was good at the sit-ups, good at the push-ups, good at everything else, but but my long ass monkey arms and uh, just I just wasn't I wasn't ready for that. And so Aaron was my element leader and um, and you know was a great friend and a great leader and helped me through um, through getting to graduation. I did not get through graduation. Um, and um, I, I passed everything at the end of the course, except for the run. I failed it by six seconds, um, which mm. was, which was brutal. Um, and, and then later that, that weekend, you know, I, I got in a car accident and um, hurt my knee and got to the, uh, this was off base and um, got back and was, was told that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be able to stay in the pipeline uh, and that I was going to have to go do something else in the Air Force. Uh, and, and then if I wanted to come back and cross train, then I could. And I actually was really excited at that opportunity because I know Aaron had done the same thing and had been through Indoc a couple of times. And so I kind of had that thought and feeling that, you know what, all right, this is like, I can I can make that work. Um, and uh, and so uh, I went through, you know, uh, had had a surgery, had the stitches, like had all that stuff, had everything taken out, and then um, was basically told that the knee would not would not really hold up, and uh, so I wasn't going to probably be able to ever come back and cross train. Man, uh, six seconds. Hey, yeah. I've been there. I, I failed my final. I failed my final the first eval test or whatever at the the final week by two seconds. Yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. that's a sting. So what yeah, did you do kind of in the face of that? Cause I, I mean, I, I went through it with you in real time, right? Like we talked about this when it happened and we've talked about it since, but you know, we, we get a lot of questions like ba- sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you can make it through selection and not get picked up. Like we talked to a lot of people that go through, well, not a lot of people, but we talked to people that, that'll go, you know, Hey, I made it through ANS, but I was a non-select. Like, what do I do? And you're like, well, you just, if you want to come back, you just go start getting back into life and refocusing yourself and getting going. So w- what are some things you do, you did at the time to get past, you know, that initial disappointment? Cause it was a disappointment. Like I, I'll, I'll speak freely for you. Like that, that one sucked for you and it, it was close. And then the follow on kind of like double blow of, you know, the knee not holding up after the stress you put it through, like kind of close that door. So what did you do in that moment to move on? Yeah. Um, in the moment, uh, I, I literally just put one foot in front of the other. Um, I, I was, I was angry. I was, um, scared. I was embarrassed. I don't, you know, kind of a, a lot of shame around both the, the failure of the run and then, and then just the, the, what felt like a failure of like getting in, into a car accident, you know what I mean? Um, which, which obviously wasn't my fault. Um, but I still kind of felt the same feelings of shame and it was a double whammy. Um, and so I just, I just put one foot in front of the other and was like, how do, how do I, how do I, just to kind of take this thing one day at a time and, and really figure out what's next. And, uh, and so I think I put a list together of, of jobs and, uh, the job I ended up getting was, uh, two W one armament system specialist, uh, load toad as, as we're called, um, and to, to go to shepherd. And I mean, on the surface, it looks like a cool job loading bombs on fighter jets, uh, seems pretty dope. Um, and, and it is, uh, can confirm. Um, but the thing I really struggled with was the mindset around why I was serving and what I was going to be doing. And I, um, I've since processed it. And I think it's probably valuable to talk about here. I was very judgmental of the conventional side of the military and did not want to be a part of it. 
And um, looking back, not to get too woo-woo, I do think that is the lesson that I was supposed to learn, that all service matters and that service matters where you're serving. Um, and at the end of the day, um, everybody in the Air Force has a job to do. And so I, you know, very close with my dad and I just talked to him every day and I was very vulnerable and honest with him about what I was feeling and thinking. And he just kept repeating, you know, that refrain to me that like service matters, every job matters. Um, you know, the, I told him about the one team, one fight and kind of all that. And it sounds cheesy, but it's, it's cheesy for a reason. It's cause it's true. And, um, and so he just really helped me kind of talk through, you know, each day, each week, as I left for Shepherd and went to Shepherd and 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 went through my new tech school, and um, I eventually came out of that tech school with, uh, you know, not the best grades, uh, although they weren't bad, but I got the what they call the Weapons Warrior Award, which is uh, which is the person that the instructor would most want to have on their crew, um, which which meant a great deal to me uh, because at the beginning I didn't even want to be on a weapons crew. Yeah. It- Real quick, how old were you when when all this happened? I mean, uh, eight, I graduated 18. So 18 in 2006, okay. 2006 to 2007, 19. Yeah, I, 19 years old. I, I couldn't remember if, if you had done a little bit of college or, or not, but because I know you kind of talked about grants. But like that's a that's a big lesson to learn at the age of 18. And that's that's early on, which is good. You know, you experienced that failure. But then like you nailed it because that is something that like people need purpose. And a lot of times when you get in that grind, especially, you know, if you're, you're a weapons loader, your maintenance, you know, your services, you know, working in the mortuary, whatever it is, right. Sometimes you can find yourself a bit discouraged. You're like, what's my purpose? Like what the hell's the point of even doing this? Right. And to get a chance to, um, see and understand the bigger picture and what you're supporting because we, this is not for you guys, but for the viewers, like there is a, a an idea or a, hell, it may even be a doctrinal term. Um, it is a doctrinal term, supported versus supporting, right? So everybody at some point, everybody is, a, is in a supporting role, ING, right? Um, sometimes you are the supported, meaning you are the, you are the mission, everybody there, all the aircraft, all the, um, people on the ground is there to support you. Um, for example, if you happen to be a pilot that ejected over combat, uh, or over enemy lines, right? Like everybody is there to support you. You are the supported and we are in a supporting role. So, you know, as, as a weapons loader, most of the time you are in a supporting role and you never get to see the end result of that. You know, you load, load some bombs on some hogs, they go out, they come back empty. Like that's a great day for you, right? Winchester, baby. Oh yeah. Like these guys went and they got some, right. But you never actually get to see the boom at the end. So, um, that that is a a tough lesson, but a good lesson to learn early on. Um, I don't know any anything on that. Absolutely not. Nothing on that. Got it. <laughs> I, no, I, I think I don't know. Trent looked like he was going to say something. Now he looks like he, I know. I thought so I'm too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I I'm always like thinking, and then Aaron is so judgmental that I'm always like, maybe I shouldn't say anything. But. <laughs> Uh, well, I th- Why I think am I have... catching heat? I didn't even do anything. I was the only one. You're was... from Ohio. I was yeah. chilling. How dare two of us? 
fifty yeah. percent of the podcast is from Ohio. All right, sorry. But but, but I think we'll, especially when we're younger, we have an uh uh. uh what we do is we attach our identity to something that that's external, right? Like we don't see like our service for what it is. We don't see like our ability and, and how we fit into that big picture. So when you, you've already attached your identity to something else, like when I, when I joined, I, I joined as a linguist and I'd already attached all my identity to that. Like I'm going to be a linguist. I'd already told everybody. And then when they told me I couldn't do that, it's, it's embarrassing and all these other things you have to like rip that away and it's, it's more painful than it should be. Um, but instead of viewing yourself as like a cog in the machine and like your service is valuable, like, we, we attach our identities to things or whatever. So like, it, I think it's hard to see as like an airman or a younger person, how you fit into that bigger picture and, 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 and knowing who you are and having your own standalone identity versus your job and all those other things. And I, I think it's tough to, to go through those transitions, you know, before you can see everything as, as an older person, like Aaron, Aaron's super old. For sure. I mean, I, I remember, um, God, a handful of things off of that. I mean, the, Supported versus supporting is something that actually gets talked about with maintainers a lot, um, and uh, and specifically with with weapons loaders because when we deployed, you know, it was it was like we are doing this job for for the infantrymen in the in the in those mountains. That's what we're doing this job for, and so that was continuously reminded um, because th- that you have to attach yourself to some sort of end result. Or you are just a cog in a machine. You are just driving a jammer and 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 putting a JDAM on the bottom of an F fifteen. But why are you doing that? And you have to link from you know end result back. And Aaron and I were. Uh, I know that Aaron has a very contentious relationship with Facebook. But one of the it, one of the times that he had Facebook, um, you know, he and I were both deployed at the same time to to a, um, uh, a similar location. And I remember just messaging him and being like, "Hey, man, I hope one of my bombs can help you." Um, and and he hit me back with, like, "Hell yeah." And I just remember thinking like, all right, cool. Like a little bit of a full circle moment here where I'm like, all right, cool. I'm still connected to somebody from, you know, from, from Indoc that, that I had a good relationship with. And I don't feel as much shame about, about not operating with him. Um, and I'm able to kind of make that connection. And, and so I think finding those connections is really important. And then understanding that your identity is not placed within or onto those connections. They're just connections. Your identity is personal, not professional. Like professional is what you do. It is not who you are. Um, you know, and there's shitbags in every single AFSC. We all, we all know that. Um, but you have to kind of remind yourself of that, um, sometimes. And, and it, you know, it is, it's not just a difficult lesson. It's an ongoing lesson. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You nailed it. And I, I, I think as the, you know, as the JTAC or whatever on the ground, the guy on the ground, um, we often times, and I think it's a maturity level and experience level, um, associated with it but oftentimes we have a hard time understanding that like yeah every you know it's all about me nobody else is doing shit you know they're just there's back there at the fob just hanging out not realizing like hey you were in you were able to do everything that you were doing because all of those good folks back there are doing what they're doing like and and you oftentimes miss and it takes it takes some time to to understand that so i remember kind of my aha moment was at airman leadership school and i was there with some maintainers and they they had the same issue trying to connect like why am i even doing this and they had never met somebody like a jtac who was on the ground who was you know relying on that stuff and and they said it just it motivated the hell out of them because whenever they'd get a scram call um you know and and it's like boom boom everything's moving they could never connect like 
okay, yeah, we're scrambling. But he's like, man, we move so much faster now knowing that like I'm able to connect with somebody who relies on us. So, you know, then moved on to be an expediter and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it just, it helped them out a lot. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So it, how long did you end up staying in then? I, I just did four years. I did from 2006 to 2010. Um, so I was with the, I did ba- basically a year in Texas between, between uh, Lackland Medina and Shepard. And then three years at RAF Lake and Heath, uh, the 494th yeah, fighter squadron. Yeah. It's a great place. The UK. Isn't it? Oh man, I got so lucky. Um, so lucky. Yeah, yeah. I deployed twice to Bagram uh, with the 494th. And then we did um, some NATO training in um, you know Sweden, uh, Belgium, and Romania. Did a couple of different exercises around there. Did the tactical leadership program in Belgium, which was really cool to work with with allied other allied air forces and like smaller crews of maintainers from the other air forces. And like you know, it was mostly fun, and the pilots were flying some sorties here and there, but kind of like mostly a, a relationship building. Um, exercise. And so kind of getting those opportunities to serve in in USAFE uh, was obviously great because you're not, you know, stuck in Boise or stuck in Seymour Johnson or or, or somewhere else. Um, But, but also beneficial because you kind of get to see and understand like how, how the air force, how the military really does fit and operate on the world stage. um, Mm -hmm. Cause you just hear about that all the time. Uh, And then to actually kind of be there and work with other allied air forces and go to these bases and um, have those opportunities. um, It was, it was really great. No, absolutely. It gives you perspective. You get to experience and and experience, understand, and appreciate other cultures because as close as the Brits and the Aussies are to, you know, us, there are still a lot of differences. Be, being, you know, married to an English woman, you know, there there are differences, right? Yeah, they, they're just there are yeah. good and bad. Yep. Um, and she would definitely say the same <laughs> for sure. Me. For sure. For sure. Probably more bad than good, uh, but that's that's my own issues. Um, th- so, did you were you making digital content at that point? Like, has that had that always interest you, or were you just kind of like, um, I, I mean, did you? Let me rephrase that. Did you always just want to do four years in the Air Force because you wanted to use it kind of as a stepping stone? Yeah. So, so weirdly, weirdly I did, um, I guess not weirdly, but looking back, it's kind of odd to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to enlist and do a job that has a two year pipeline and then just spend two years doing it and get yeah. out like that, you know, uh, um, it's kind of strange looking back, but yes, I mean, I, I grew up wanting to be an actor. I loved movies, you know, in high school, got into screenwriting and actually reading screenplays, watching, you know, the behind the scenes commentaries on DVDs and, you know, kind of watching the making of documentaries and things like that, really understanding how films how films worked and and part of what I wanted to study if I was going to go to one of those you know smaller colleges and play football was was creative writing um, and and kind of move towards that screenwriting writing directing kind of like indie film you know like every good film school student you know I wanted to be the next Tarantino so you know that was <laughs> fantastic kind of the, the immature the immature version of it but um, but no I wasn't creating any content um, and, and that's actually one of the cool things that I've that I've learned now you know, hosting my podcast and talking to other people that are still in, like, it's just great that people are able to do that now uh, with the advent of social media and all the content creating platforms and opportunities that weren't really there. I mean, I had Facebook and MySpace uh, and that was kind of pretty much it. And so for me, it was like film or nothing. And um, not because I had any disrespect for other kinds of content. I just didn't really know that those existed yet. I think YouTube probably existed, but not in the way that it does now. It was still mostly, you know, 
um, it was, it was pretty early. So, so the, the, cat, the cat sh- videos, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Nate, e- Nate, Nate, e- world, you know, E-bombs yeah. world. Yeah. College humor and Ebon's world got me through so many days of work because they, they also didn't know how to set a firewall back then. So you could get on to Ebon. Like the day that they figured out Ebon and college uh, college humor behind the firewall was a, a sad, sad day oh, around yeah. military computer systems. <laughs> Brutal. Um, so yeah, so I, I wasn't creating content, but I was thinking about what I was going to do. And I was writing, uh, you know, journaling and, and writing uh, like essay writing and that kind of thing, because writing was still still kind of the the goal. And so I um, I got out in 2010, went back to Columbus, uh, waited tables for for about a year, uh, applied to Ohio State, got into Ohio State, um, and did one year there. I had a had a weird experience as a military student because, I mean, we all have all military students have that experience where you're 22, 23, and everybody else is 18, 19. So there's that kind of maturity gap. There's the um, more importantly than the maturity gap, there's just the experience gap. And not that like I have more experience and I'm better, but just, I can't relate. Like you're going through things that I've already gone through, but went through in a different environment. I'm going through things that you're not going to go through probably, you know, cause you're not going to enlist at 18. Right. So it's like this just weird kind of disconnect. Um, and so I, I did really well in some classes, did really poorly in some other classes and kind of realized that the big college thing wasn't really for me. And if I really wanted to go focus on screenwriting, I needed to go find somewhere that I could um, really do that. And oddly enough, that school in Ann Arbor has one of the best screenwriting programs in the country. So I did not apply because I knew that if I got in, I probably would have went. Um, and so I looked for some other, I looked for some other. dedication right there. You're willing, you're willing to partially derail your life just because you hate that team up North so bad. Exactly. Uh, and so I found a couple of, of other smaller schools, one of which was full sale university in Orlando, Florida. And, um, it was kind of like Phoenix or DeVry, but more for the arts and entertainment. So you still got a bachelor's degree, you got a fine arts degree, um, but it's accelerated, um, and you know, yellow ribbon takes the GI bill and all that stuff. So I, I packed up, left Columbus, went down to, to Orlando and did a four-year degree in about two and a half years. Uh, you know, one class, one month, two classes the next month. And the classes were very small. And so I was able to kind of provide some mentorship on the writing side to some of my, you know, younger, uh, counterparts in, in the class. And the, the cool thing is I was really able to connect with my professors. And so because they're teaching you the craft. They're teaching you how to write a blueprint for a film, how to write a screenplay, how to research, how to build a world. And then they're teaching you, you know, you're doing a deep dive into all of the genres. Um, And then there's comic book writing and video game writing. And just it's, it's a whole kind of creative writing for, for multimedia uh, degree. And so you get all this hyper focus and, and then you're able to just build this really great relationship with people who've been there and who have done it and who were doing it while they're still teaching. And so that was just a, that was a, a terrific experience for me. Um, I always say that if, if a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle says, Hey, do you think full skills right for my kid? Um, I always hesitate to say yes, because it was great for me, but that's because I was older. I had a car, I had a job, I had my own apartment and I was, you know, really relating with the, with the professors and writing about things that I, you know, was able to, you know, I had a, I had a perspective. I wasn't just writing, you know, Marvel fan fiction or, or whatever it might be. Um, so it, you know, for, for, for me, full sale was great for younger students. I, you know, I can't say. Um, and then from there, I, I went straight to LA after I graduated to kind of get started on the Hollywood side of things. Jeez. <clears throat> well, I, I want to know where, where did the original inspiration come from? Like what, what got you into this? Who were the first 
like what were the first movies or books or comic books or whatever that got you interested in this? And then also, did you have to hide all of this nerddom <laughs> as you were going through Indoc, or or was it fully accepted by everybody? <laughs> uh, I, question. I um I never exp- I never got I never got made fun of um, at all in in Indoc for for any of this stuff. Um, I actually. It, and my whole military career, like everybody was the most supportive people uh, of, of the career that I've tried to build have been everybody that I've served with, which is, which is really cool. But no, I didn't, I didn't, sorry, I don't have any juicy, juicy details there, but um, I did not get made fun of. I had a good experience on that front. Well, the, one of the reasons I ask is we, we get a lot of people being like, Oh, well, like I'm this type of person. Like, do, should I join aspect yeah. and all these other things? And it's mm-hmm. like, we try to tell people like it's all types of people. And honestly, as long as you're like a performer and are decent human, like everybody's it, it's a really accepting community. It sounds weird yeah. to say maybe f- for people from the outside, but you know, I, I said it kind of sarcastically, but that, that's why. Yeah. I mean, not on the like personal interest front, but I do remember going through um, when I was going through and I was, because I was a sprinter in high school and played football, um, you know, ran the one, two and the 400. And so I never really ran distance if I didn't have to. And um, so I remember kind of getting through a portion of, of Indoc and struggle. Obviously, I ended up failing to run by six seconds, right? So it's like, makes sense. I was kind of struggling with some of the long distance. And I remember, I think it was Doc, uh, who was the like the big running coach there at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with him and really telling him that I was struggling. And he was like, listen, because we need all kinds of people with different physical abilities on a team on the battlefield. So if you're a sprinter, that will be used to to affect. And then, yeah, you do need to learn how to how to run longer distances because you have to, you know, pass, pass and you know all of that stuff. But there's different kinds of people are needed on a team, and that's what makes up a team is a bunch of different people doing different things because not one person can do every one thing. Um, so you know, kind of related, not not about nerddom, but um, but that that idea is uh, that idea is is a true one. Um, inspirations for this, I mean, I'm a huge. Uh, like so from a comic book standpoint, uh, I read all the Batman comics and graphic novels, you know, all the ones that the Christopher Nolan movies got based on. And then all these new movies got based on um, just kind of lo- loved all of those Frank Miller uh, on the comic book side um, for Batman and Daredevil. And um, I read my dad was big into like uh, still is big into like high fantasy sword and sorcery type novels, you know, like wizards and dragons and shit. Um, and so there was this, there was this, um, you know, I read Harry Potter, obviously I was the same age as, uh, as the kids in those books. So every year the book would come out and, um, I actually read the, uh, or read the seventh book of Harry Potter while I was waiting to go to Shepard after, after all the, um, uh, Indoc failures, which was, which was a, um, I guess pretty cathartic experience now that I think about it. Um, and then there was another, another series that my dad introduced me to that I basically read every 18, have read every 18 months since I was like 10. Um, and it's called uh, the, the author's name. He since passed away is David Eddings. Uh, and there was two series, one called the Belgariad and one called the Malorian. Um, and it was this, um, just kind of like sword and sorcery, epic Hobbit, Lord of the Rings style thing. I read those books too. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, all the classics on, on that side of the thing, on that side of, of things. Um, and then on the film side, like I really got into Tarantino, like every, like every kid did, you know, the boondock saints. I got into those. I was like, really kind of found my way through the like Guy Ritchie, you know, sort of like independent film, but with some edge like that, that was, was really what I was interested in. Um, and yeah, so that's, those were my influences at least at that time. 
Nice. Yeah, no, I, I think everyone can relate to, to something that they go back to over and over again that kind of connects them to where it all started. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're an Ohio kid. You went to Florida, which is really not that big of a departure from Ohio. Right. And then you go to LA. Like, yep. that's a, that's a departure. Like what, what, what had you learned up to this point in your life that made you able to survive in the Hollywood, you know, ecosphere of crazy? Um, well, the, the biggest thing that I had learned was that all I needed to do was get in and then get out. I just needed to go do my time, learn what I needed to learn, meet who I needed to meet. And then I could, and then I could get out and go somewhere else. At that time, I was starting to have an understanding that there were hubs for, for filmmaking and for, for content creation outside of just Los Angeles. There was Los Angeles, there was New York, there was Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans, Austin, right? There's like all these different pockets. And LA always definitely felt like the foundation that I needed to have. Um, I, you know, grew up splitting time between Ohio and, and, Cal and Southern California and San Diego. So I'd spent some time in LA You know, we had some family friends up there and somebody I was actually able to uh, crash on in his guest room for the first six months that I was out there. Um, and so I, I, I went out there with an understanding that I wasn't going to stay forever. Um, and then I wasn't going to really stay that long, but I just wanted to go get that experience. Um, and, and so I, I kind of started to use like a deployment mindset, um, and, and I've, I've actually kind of since used the kind of deployment and TDY model for different projects and different, um, you know, kind of workflows in my professional life post post military. And um, so, yeah, so I went straight there. And I, the first thing I did was just apply for a bunch of jobs on like the production equivalent of Craigslist. I don't even think it exists um, now, but it was called Mandy.com at the time. And I went and put just like hundreds of different of different um, applications for you know low paid, no paid, unpaid, whatever I could get. I just wanted to get the experience, and I ultimately landed um, with this web series that was getting produced. And uh, they responded to my email and said, "Hey, would would love to meet you." And I thought I was going to go meet some like you know cool like older producers, and I ended up meeting like a <laughs> couple of dudes my age. And I'm like, "Wait, how did you how did you pull this off? You know, I, who's letting you do this? I want to do yeah. that." Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we hit it off and, you know, they were, they were super cool. They were like, Hey, you know, we love that you have the entertainment, um, you know, the academic background of this, that you're interested in this, but more than anything, we're interested in your military experience because, you know, that's, that's unique and different and not something you see all the time. And, uh, you know, would love for you to, to, you know, come help us out. So I said, that's great. Uh, they said, it's unpaid. I said, no problem. Um, and so they put me in a department that, uh, was, uh, the assistant director department. And there's three levels of assistant directors. There's a second, second assistant director, a second assistant director, and a first assistant director. They all have different roles and responsibilities. The first assistant director runs the set, works directly with the director, making sure that um, everything runs on time, everything runs smoothly, every shot gets executed, that everything gets captured on the sound standpoint, just make sure that uh, you know, what we call making a day, right? Making the day. So you have 10 hours, don't go into overtime, all that good stuff. The second assistant director is in charge of the cast um, and making sure that they're ferried back and forth between wardrobe and hair and makeup and making sure that the first assistant director is supported. The second, second assistant director is just a supporting role for those other two. Uh, and then there'd be like a production assistant, a PA role. So that's where they put me. Um, so I was like, oh, this is cool. So the one guy gave me a book um, and he's like, you know, here's a book about this department and kind of like how how, how it works. And so I, and that's where I learned everything I just said. And so I went home and I read it. I'm like, that's cool. So we had three days of prep for this web series. And then we were going to shoot for 15 days. Uh, I showed up on the first day, the second, second quit. I showed up on the second day, the second quit. I showed up on the third day, the day before shooting the first quit. 
So this, this <laughs> one of these producers looks at me and he goes, Hey man, do you think you can do this by yourself? And I was like, well, I've read this book cover to cover and I've been here for the last three days um, and you don't have any money. So it sounds great. Yeah. I think I can figure it out. <laughs> Uh, I can just step right up. I've done this a million times. No clue yeah, what's going on. I need to do what? All right. No, I'll just be the lead now. Okay. It's all right. So what I, what I noticed on those three days though, as I was prepping for this with these guys is that the, the unit production manager, who's kind of like the, the, the workhorse of the producers, not the like financier, not the fancy person, but the person who's actually producing the project. And then it, he, that person is like, um, uh, is like the uh, maintenance officer. The first uh, AD is like the pro super. And then every other department head is like the expediter. So I started to see the flight line and I was mm. like, oh, so if, and I never expedited, I just, I got out as a senior airman, but I still obviously worked, worked with expediters and pro supers and all this. So as I was, as I was prepping, I looked and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I just need to be the pro super. I just need to talk to the expediters for each department. And then I need to just channel up to the maintenance officer just to make sure that everything flows. But once I started to think about it in that framework, I just, I just banged it out and, and it was great. And I'm like, Oh, cool. I'm a first AD now. Like I can, I can go apply <laughs> for other jobs and I can do this because I did it successfully, you know, for, for 15 days for no money. And they hired me to do another job um, with that, with that crew. And I went to Illinois and we, I did the same thing for a, an ultra low budget horror movie. That's terrible. Um, but it was super fun to make. And I learned a lot about like how to produce a movie uh, from, from working with those guys and, and doing a little bit more, uh, you know, in-depth work on the, on the scheduling side of things and just like really understanding how the relationship between a screenwriter and a director and the producers and the production manager and the first AD and just like the cast and how everything gets made. Um, so I really just started to look at things through that framework that I was familiar with and it helped me um, execute. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. The, the whole being unpaid, the, the success through attrition, <laughs> you know, like what, where did you get that mindset where like, you're like, I will, I'm willing to do, whatever it takes, uh, both on the learning side. And also I'm sure there were some long days where, yeah. you know, everybody's looking at you. You're the only person probably that seemed organized on yep. some days. Cause you'd put it into that like flight line thing. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you get through all that with, with no pay and, and like, and, and, and still keep track of that goal. Cause obviously those other dudes had similar goals to you as yours, but like one day in they're like, I can't do this anymore. What was different about you that allowed you to push through all that stuff and to, to see your way to success. I, I'm very naturally a patient person. Um, I talk about this, my wife and I talk about this all the time um, because we counterbalance each other well on that front. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm very uh, naturally patient. And so I just started engaging in a very long view of what I wanted my career to be. And I'm not in a hurry. There's no reason for me to be in a hurry because I will eventually get that thing that I want to have. Um, and it's going to take as long as it's going to take and it's going to take what it takes. Um, and I think, I think going through, uh, you know, going through Indoc, making it all the way to the end, I had some sort of understanding of what I'm capable of in general. I think going through that failure, um, was as disheartening as it was, was like really good prep for not much is going to feel worse than that. Um, and then going through the transition of making my way into the conventional air force, serving with pride, 
um, and going through that whole process, like that's just a really strong foundation for a life. And so that's going to be what I built, build this on. And I'm just going to engage in these frameworks as long as they take and, and do whatever it takes in order to take the next step, get to the next phase and do the things that I need to do in order to make the things that I want to make and have the career that I want to have. Does that answer the question? Yeah. 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 I, I feel good about it. <laughs> nice. I feel, I feel really good about it. So when you were in LA, man, like whether times where you're just like, I had like a breath away. You're like, listen, if I don't get a paycheck this next week, I'm going home. Like, I'm sure there had to be those times where you were not necessarily the most motivated to keep going. Uh, yes. So I took, I took, um, I took two short screenplays that I'd written in college with me out there. And so when I was doing these unpaid jobs, uh, where I was working for other people in between those, I would get those crews together and those casts together. And then we would go make the things that I wanted to make and make the screenplays that I had taken out there. So the whole time I was in LA, I was working for other people, but then I was also working on the side with my own material and doing the thing that I said that I wanted to do out there and working with other people um, that we were in the trenches together on these other, on these other jobs. So at that point, the only, the only real toll wasn't emotional and it wasn't, it wasn't uh, from like a work ethic standpoint or from a, like a fatigue standpoint. At that point, the only toll was financial. Cause I was putting these, I was putting right. these films on credit credit cards and um, I was waiting tables and tending bar. I, I, I waited a little too long being in LA before I started waiting tables and tending bars. So I was kind of working, <laughs> working from debt, sure. you know, I was like, Oh, let me go out there. I've got, I've got a nest egg and that just goes like that. So, nice. um, yeah. but no, I never, I never wanted to quit. I never wanted to stop. I never, it just, it was all just kind of like, all right, how do I trudge through this? And, um, you know, how do I counterbalance the things I'm doing for other people and the, the, the lessons I'm learning and, and the, the, the skills that I'm developing through them. How do I kind of use that on the side for the things that I'm trying to do to build a career, you know, with my personal passion projects. So that, that's how I got through that aspect of it. Definitely. And then what led the, uh, what led the move to NYC? So you just relocated recently from there. So you, did, when did you move out to New York? Cause now you got like the, the storybook rags to riches, you know, Ohio right. guy, you know, hits the military up and he makes it as a, as a film guy. Now you're living in New York City. So what, what actually drove yeah. the, mo- the, uh, the move out to New York? So I reconnected with my now wife, who was um, where she and I had gone to high school together. We met each other um, freshman year of high school. And um, she and I kind of dated off and on through the military while she was in college. Excuse me. And then while, while I was in college and she was in New York, she moved to New York City right after grad school. And so after we had wrapped up the second short film that I made out there, uh, the, the co-producer and star of that film, um, also a Midwestern guys from Detroit. Uh, he's a Sparty fan though. Um, he, um, he and I were just kind of like lamenting how difficult it was to date in, in LA and just how really terrible that whole scene was. And so he's like, Hey man, you keep bringing up this chick, Andrea, every time we have this conversation, like what's the deal. And so I told him the whole story, like how we met and that's, you know, would be another podcast. Um, so I'm not going to go into it, but like, there's a long story of dating several times before we finally, uh, made it work. And after, after this conversation I had with him, I texted her and I just, you know, I did the whole classic, like, Hey, and then, you know, she texted me back, Hey, and then we started talking <laughs> and, um, a modern love and, story. Hey, yeah, exactly. What up? What up? <laughs> um, W Y D. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, so she, she was, a uh, in education at the time, uh, as a teacher, her spring break was coming up. This was like March or something like that, April. And, um, so we, um, 
she, she came out to visit and we were like, Hey, like I'm, this either is going to work or we're never talking to each other again. Right. Like we can't do this like a seventh time. Um, and so we was like talking about New York and she was like, oh, I'm really happy that you've, that you've pursued your dream successfully and are like, are actually in the industry working. She's like, I've got some friends that work in production back in New York. I'd, I'd love to connect to you. I'm like, okay, cool. So she connects me to this guy who's a producer at, uh, Time Inc. Studios, uh, which which is like uh, Sports Illustrated, it was it, it's all been since sold off, but it was like Sports Illustrated, Entertainment Weekly, People Magazine, like all that kind of thing. And he produced branded content, and so he, um, because Andrea had connected me to him, he reached out to me. He said, "Hey, I've got a project coming up in LA. I need a producer and a director to put a small crew together and to shoot this um, thing for the Disney Channel." And I was like, "Oh, obviously, I would love to do that." And um, so we connected, I got the gig. Um, as we were talking, he was like, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, what's your day rate? <laughs> and I said, uh, ex- excuse me? He's like, your day rate, like, what do you charge daily? And I was like, listen, dog, I work for free right now. So I know I need to have an answer to this question, <laughs> but I don't. If you and could just was, give me a quick Google, <laughs> my dude, let me just Google some market prices. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so he goes, uh, he goes, okay, tell you what he goes, you know, $500 a day for, for two days of work. Um, he goes, just so you know, that's a little bit on the low end. He's like, so I'm, I'm making a little extra money on this one. He's like, but you got to learn that lesson. Um, and he goes, as we start to do more of these together, like I can help you figure, figure that out. I said, great, dude, a thousand bucks for me, waiting tables, tending bar. That means I can let go of some shifts. Um, I'm super happy. And I'm also super happy that I'm going to, you know, scale and start to learn how this thing works. So I did that one job with him. We had rap beers after, and he was like, he's like, dude, he's like, if you want to make indie films, that's awesome. He goes, but stop waiting tables and tending bar. He's like, start working in advertising and doing this as your job. And then you can make the other content that you want to make on the side with better quality because you'll have access to, to people that do it every day. And then you'll have more cash in your pocket and you'll be able to build a career. I'm like, Man, that's, that's really smart. Something Full Sail never taught. They never taught that there's this like integrated advertising production side of things that there's copywriting that there's like, I know what commercials are because I've watched them my whole life, but I never like really knew that was a part of the same industry weirdly. Um, so when he made that connection, I was like, Oh, okay. And so then I decided to move to New York to be with Andrea and go work where I now know there's somebody who can hire me more than just one time. Um, and so I moved to New York, moved in with her. And then I just went and hung out at this dude's office weekly, like every Every uh, every few days, I would just go down, grab a coffee, go sit in, say hello, knock on doors, ask if they had anything that they needed me to do, and that would always kind of lead to some small jobs here and there. So I was still waiting tables and tending bar, but then they were hiring me to write some scripts and do some copywriting, and they would hire me to write decks, and um, they would hire me to be a first assistant director. They would hire me to be a director on some smaller shoots. They would let me produce some shoots. And I just kind of started to put a little portfolio together working as a freelancer uh, and then continuing to wait tables and 10 bar and made a couple of more short films uh, in New York City as well and kind of building the indie film side of that um, concurrently and um, and then kind of started to scale from there. Nice. Just grinding. Then, I know. That's, that's what it is. Just a ridiculous ticketing work ethic, baby. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So did you have any big breakthroughs on the indie side of it? So did you have anything in New York that really popped off or was well-received or one that you felt really proud of? Yeah. So I made a, um, we made a short film called An Actor Prepares. I was working at a, um, at a, um, at a restaurant with a married couple, and they were both actors, and they had this like kind of crazy chemistry 
And I'm like, I want to, like, I want to make something with y'all. Like, let's, like, let me, like, let me write a script. Like, let me figure something out. And so Andrew and I were moving um, out of an apartment, and so we had like a week before we were in our new apartment, and then like a week with all of our shit was out of our old apartment. And the super used that opportunity to come in and um, like do 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 a quick like uh, demo and, and remodel on some stuff. And so I went over there one day and just looked, and it was like the perfect. Uh, set for something like horror something scary, something, um, you know, whatever. And so I was like, Oh, so, uh, I was like writing, 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 tried to come up with an idea. And I came up with this idea for uh, a horror film set in an empty apartment that was under construction, hired these two, um, and another actor that was Andrea's first, um, gig helping me out co-producing something. And, um, and so we made that, we cut it together. I'd like pulled crew from everybody worked for free. Um, and I spent money on it, right? So I didn't feel bad because it wasn't like I was making money and other people weren't. But I pulled crew from advertising jobs. I'm like, listen, you never get the opportunity to do something cool and artsy. You're always working for the man trying to sell a product. Like, do you want to come spend one day for pizza and beer making something cool? And people were like, hell yeah, let's do it. So got some crew together. We shot it in one day, um, cut it together. Uh, and um, that one did did really well in the horror film festival circuit um, and played... Uh, played some pretty big festivals, which was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, just, it was like, it was kind of one of those that I still watch it every, every, every year. Or so I like watching it again. I'm like, yeah, it still, still actually holds up. Like it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, take it a step back a little bit. Like, I, I think it's like you are a perfect example that it, it takes all kinds of folks to make the world go round in terms of, you know, everybody, I don't say everybody, maybe me, at least when I was younger, I had this vision of what um, military members are like and that kind of stuff. And in reality, everybody's into their own kind of thing. Right. I, I was telling my, my commander now, like, cause he was just asking me about, you know, being F air force special warfare and stuff like that. And I was like, honestly, man, I'm probably pretty boring. Most people would actually think I'm pretty boring, you know, but, I think everybody, you know, I, I'm not big into comic books or anything like that, but other people are, and they're, they're out there writing. And, and I think that's where folks like, you know, you, Jack Carr, that kind of stuff, like folks like that are able to create content. Like I rely on Trent and Aaron for this. <laughs> I'm just here. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I mean, Terrifying. But, you know, yeah, but you know, you, with, with that kind of uh, interest, that kind of work ethic, that grind, um, just, you know, kind of helps you out. And that, that kind of transitions us into like veteran made podcast. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, dude, you, you started that up. I like what, what made you want to start that up? And then, I mean, look where you're at now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. I mean, so I, so I, I stopped freelancing with, with that group and uh, got hired on a contract, like a quarterly contractual basis with another small agency production company, basically a production agency where I produced um, uh, NASCAR campaigns for, for like three years. And we did some Fox sports work. We did some Anheuser-Busch work. We actually built Anheuser-Busch's internal digital studio. And so I was kind of like the first producer over there, uh, produced like a regional Super Bowl spot, nothing crazy, but still a Super Bowl spot, which was really cool. Um, and just kind of like started to see the inner workings of how you actually build the infrastructure of a department and how you build the infrastructure of an agency. And um, and the guy that I was working for was who was the executive producer, um, still a good buddy of mine. I 
I told him, I pulled him aside one day and I said, Hey man, I, I would really like to have your position someday. Not the one here. I'm not trying to steal your position, but I want to have a position like yours somewhere else one day, you know, I, and can you mentor me along the way? And he's like, absolutely. Um, and so he was kind of helping me and mentoring me and doing these things. And the people that he worked for, the, the uh, principals at this, at this advertising agency, I took one of them out for like happy hour drinks and told him the same thing. I said, Hey, I've been working with, with this other guy. And, um, I, I, I really want to, to have a role like his, like, you know, do you have any feedback for me? What, what do you think? And he looked at me and he was like, listen, man, my observation of you is that you're really, really good at the things that you do at the level that you do them. He's like, you were in the military. So being a first AD makes sense. Being a line producer makes sense, but like, you know, scaling and building a department and thinking more creatively and thinking, he's like, I just don't think that that's really what you're set up to do. So I think you should just stick with what you're doing. And I was devastated. Uh, that's just, first of all, it's brutal if it's true, right? So it's brutal either way. <laughs> yeah. If he's yeah, right, yeah. then like, fuck, you know? And then if he's wrong, then fuck you, you know? But I have to figure out like which one of those two paths I'm going to take chose the second one. So I, I non-renewed my contract <laughs> with them slash they non-renewed it with me, right? It was mutual, mutual. Um, and then I went freelance for a little bit. And then I landed at a, at another advertising agency that I'm at now. And um, this was at the very beginning of COVID. We scaled um, a, a sub-brand at Gillette called King C Gillette, which was a, a at-home beard care brand for men, which is the perfect thing to launch during a pandemic when everybody has to be on Zoom and Microsoft Teams instead of going you know, into the office so they can't go to the barber. So we just kind of started rolling all this content out and, and I was, you know, permalancing with them, you know, kind of per permanently freelancing with them. And about two months into it, um, the principals at this agency said the exact opposite thing that that other guy said. And they're like, we love what you're doing. We love what you bring. We love the mindset. We love that you bring this kind of military framework without being militant. The chief operations officer was running production. He's like, I don't want to do production anymore, dude. He's like, I just want to do operations. Do you want the job? And I said, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, if you could, that'd be great. Yeah. And so because I was technically unqualified for it, um, but I had performed in a, in a way that, that gave me an opportunity that I otherwise, you know, wouldn't get anywhere else. I, I took a step back and I pressed pause and I was like, whoa there is something here for other veterans in my position over the course of the last 10 years of me transitioning out. I somehow scooby-dooed my way into this position. I need to reverse engineer this and I need to figure out how to equip people with tools to help them do what I did unintentionally, right? Like I, I didn't do any of this intentionally. I just worked my ass off and then now I'm doing the intentional work to go back. And so I had, a, I had a, my, there was a seal working for my dad and I had a couple of other buddies that were kind of in the, in the, um, in the space who were willing to, to get on a, a zoom and, and record a podcast. And so I just started, um, grinding again with different guests who had different skill sets who were doing different things that wasn't logistics, supply, security, contracting, you know, the, the, by the way, those things are amazing. And those things we need to keep the world, uh, moving. Um, but there's also a bomb loader who wants to make movies out there. So how do I go find that guy or gal? Um, and so I just started having these conversations and really trying to use it as a repository of, of content, um, anecdotes and 
um, you know, a skill building exercise, both for myself and for the audience to, to really look at different ways that you can transition out of the military and different ways that you can go pursue the things that you want to pursue that maybe the people in your life are telling you, you can't. Um, and maybe you can't, but there's only one way to find out and that's to do it. And the only way you're going to do it is if you have support along the way. Um, and so that's what I try to provide. And I, so I'm curious then just because, um, like I, I hear like I've, okay, I've been doing this for, I don't know, 24 years, something like that are coming up on it. Right. And I've, I've had a handful of jobs, like in the grand scheme of things with that, that amount of time, I've had a handful of jobs that are still relatively, you know, the same, whereas you have been all over the place. Do you like, as somebody who is starting to look, you know, into the future, um, do you think that hitting all those different things helped you or do you think that maybe it, Okay. All right. Well, there's for, the answer right there then. Yo, yeah. for me, the, the reason yeah. why I'm saying is because like I'm an, I, I would consider myself an expert in my field, but that's just because I've been doing it for so long. Whereas it, it sounds like, and I don't know that some of the timeframes associated with those jobs that you hit, but it sounds like you, you'd hit that for a little bit and then hit another thing and then hit another thing. So it, it gave you a, a, a broad scope but I don't know, like, did you, would you consider yourself an expert in any one of those things? Cause I don't know how much time you spent there or did it just come natural? And you're just one of those people where you're like, whatever, man. Uh, yeah. So I, I would consider myself an expert as, um, as an executive producer, as a head of production, as a builder of, uh, as an entrepreneur on the production side. So I, by no means am I the best screenwriter. Can I write? Yes. Um, by no means am I the best director. Can I direct? Yes, I just directed another short film that I'm really excited about that I think is pretty good. Um, and I don't really direct commercials or anything like that. I'm not super creative, um, but I have kind of a, enough knowledge to be dangerous and also enough knowledge to like maybe provide a poke or a prod or a bad idea that leads to a good idea. The thing that I do feel like I'm an expert at though is building and scaling an efficient production model. Um, and so that's true both from the output of the actual work itself. So it's the best highest level creative, you know, as dictated by the strategy required for, um, you know, for whatever product it is that we're selling, as well as generating revenue. Um, so like the, the revenue model that we have here is like, I, I mean, I, the percentages would sound crazy, but what we've done over the course of the last three years, I just, I was like, oh yeah, I, I figured out how to do this really, really well. Um, and, and so I, I love doing that because talk about supported and supporting, uh, yeah. Like I look at myself as the supporting entity um, and, and my, you know, obviously the team that works for me, we're the supporting entity for everybody else to do the best possible job that they can do to provide the best strategy and the best creative. And then my team is just going to help bring it to life. And, you know, my ego is no longer seated in like, I want to be the writer. I want to be the director. I want to be the creative. I want to be the person with the vision. It's like, nope, I'm cool being back here pro supering this, making sure that the birds get in the air and they come back empty. It's the way I look You at mean it. you want everybody to be successful instead of just, Hey, my pride and it's me and I'm the creative director kind of thing. Correct. Got it. So that's a good place to be. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the, the person that said that you weren't good for the job because you were, you came from the military from like a, a certain background. Like how often did you run into that? And for, for the vets out there that are, that are getting out and transitioning to the civilian world, like how, how would we recommend that they overcome that, you know, like people's perception of what the military is like, because it sounds like the other people that loved you were like, Oh, well you're not militant. 
Like, is that is that a surprise? Like, you know, and we've run into the same thing. I'm, I remember being in the office one time and uh, one of the civilians that was in there was like, you guys are all so nice. Like, it was a super big surprise to her. And we're like, yeah, we're just we're just people like just because I've done X, Y, Z doesn't mean that, like, I walk into an office job, kick in the door and I want to <laughs> shoot everybody in the face. Like, that's not it's not how it works. So, like, for the for the people going through that transition process, like, and I'm sure you've, you've talked to you know, through this with a, a few other people, like, how do you get past that? Like when someone's like, oh, well, you were in the military, like, what's the best way to get over that? And to, like convince people that you are just a human being with like maybe a different set of skills and experiences that can be valuable. I think it's a great question. I think the, the biggest thing that, that transitioning service members can do or, or, or veterans that are, have already transitioned that might be running into this issue is to slow down and look around and assess and, and look inward first and say, am I being what they're saying I'm being? Am I being too aggressive? Am I making assumptions about what I can do? Am I making assumptions about what I think they should be doing? And maybe I'm communicating it in a way that's a little a little too assertive and aggressive about, about what they're doing and what they could be doing differently. And just really slowing down and having some humility about the fact that you have a different set of frameworks that you can see this work through. And that you're going to need to, you know, it's it's a cliche, but you're going to need to win the hearts and minds of the people that you're working with in order to let them let you use those frameworks. They're also going to feel some type of way because they, they're like, well, I didn't serve. I didn't deploy. I didn't do all of this. So I, I can't possibly see things the way that this person sees things. I can't possibly do things the way that they do things. What they did was special. You know, it's like, no, not really. It's just a different framework and it's just a different opportunity. Um, and so th- here's the, here's the, here's the tough part. I finally got an email back from that guy after, after I had, I had sent him like several emails being like, listen, man, I need to know, like, Ooh. what can I actually do better? <laughs> what can I actually do better? You know? And he sent me this long thing and it was like, it, you know, it broke my heart. Like I cried, you know, I, I was pissed. I was like, kind of all that stuff. Now, several years later, I, I went back and read that email probably like a month ago. And I'm like, he was right. He was right. Like there were things that I was doing that I should not have been doing or I could have done better, could have communicated more clearly, could have communicated a little bit more soft, could have been a little bit more um, human about these things instead of just being like, Hey man, I've got the best work ethic in this office. I want to have that guy's role. I want to do it as fast as I can. What do you need from me, bro? Like the spirit behind all those things that I was asking. Awesome. Super humble. The, the, the manner in which I communicated that not humble at all. So I think like looking for ways that, that, uh, critiques or criticism might be valid while still also like understanding where your heart is, and like where you're coming from and just making some adjustments um, in, instead of just like being like, Oh man, they're right. I'm just, a, I'm just a piece of shit. I guess I'm never going to make it. You know, it's like, no, you just gotta just flex and adjust, you know? Well, they do say that flexibility is the key to air power, Carrie. I don't know if you ever heard that before. <laughs> it's a little something we like to call excellence in all we do, um, man. So that kind of it brings us full circle from the from the very beginning of, of you wanting to get in and answering that call in two thousand six and trying to do the hardest possible thing and you know learn lessons the entire way. And now you know here we are with you know Veteran Made Podcast. Everybody go out there and follow Veteran Made Podcast. You can find them on Instagram. What are your other socials, Carrie? 
Uh, right now it's, uh, Instagram and Facebook at veteran made pod on both. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I'll post some content on LinkedIn from the podcast, but I use that as an opportunity to connect with my clients and potential clients on the agency side of things. Um, just to kind of like, you know, humanize the, 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 the round out the experience. Uh, and then I'm getting ready to, I'm not sure when this will go live, but I am getting ready to uh, start up a YouTube channel. So I'll be doing some YouTube shorts, uh, and then some longer form, uh, docu-series style content, um, as well as some, um, some other kind of more like experimental, um, artsy fartsy type stuff, but still under the the veteran made, (laughs) the veteran made brand. Well, we're all about it here, man. I'm so, I'm so glad that we got to reconnect and we got to check, you know, each other's projects out, you know, so to speak and, and see where you've been and your story is amazing. We always end with, uh, advice, right? So we always ask, you know, what would you, what would you give advice? you know, to this specific group today, it, it feels right. Like anybody out there that's having these, these questions about, am I going to fit inside of the aspect work community? Does my personality jive with these, you know, what my perceptions of the jobs are, what would be your advice to folks out there kind of having that issue? Like, what would you tell them coming from a guy with a crazy diverse background as yours and still finding a way to, to take lessons and, and learn, you know, from stuff going on. So what, what advice would you give to those folks? Uh, my advice would be to, to be humble and stay humble, but that doesn't mean to be passive and to stay passive. Um, it means to, to be assertive where you need to be assertive and be aggressive where you need to be aggressive, but all from a place of, of humility, um, and understand that, uh, you're, you are going to find your fit wherever that is. Um, and so if you're somebody that needs to go through the, the pipeline and make it and make it onto a team and make it out of the teams and go serve, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, if you're somebody that that's not going to happen, um, then that's not going to happen, but you probably still need to go through the experiences that, that you feel like you need to go through. So, you know, be humble, stay humble, uh, but don't, don't be passive. Fantastic. Carrie, can't say thanks enough. Everybody, make sure you're following Veteran Made Pod on all the platforms. Link, they're not going to get a LinkedIn, but they're going to be super excited about that YouTube channel. So. Look at that. What oh, timing. Yeah, yeah oh, the wow. talks are like, what a way to end. <laughs> Everybody else out there, follow us at uh, onesready.com. I'm doing it over the dogs. I don't care. <laughs> follow us at onesready.com. We can find us on all the podcast players. We're out here. Shoot us a DM if you need anything. Carrie, open invite. Anytime you want to come back on or anything else you want to talk about, you say the word and we'll get you on, man. You're, you're awesome. I hope you're way more popular than us, way faster than we've ever been. So that's the goal. I hope you crush it. You got uh, any teasers out there? You got anything coming on the horizon you might want to, might want to put out there? Uh, yes, I do. Well, first, I just want to say, uh, again, thanks for having me. I want to have, I want to have y'all on mine as well. We should do a home and home, so to speak. Um, and, uh, maybe do it individually so I can get to know, get to know uh, the, the other two here a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, would love to hear, hear about content creation while you're still in, especially at, at uh, senior enlisted levels, which I think is really important for people to hear. Um, and, uh, and Aaron, I just want to say, I just want to say thanks for, thanks for, um, thanks for staying connected over the years. I did, you know, for a long time, I just had, I had a lot of shame about not making it as a PJ and it was really, really difficult for me to, um, you know, frankly, for a long time, it was really difficult for me to watch content and see content that any sort of operator PJs were, were, were a part of. Um, and, but you've always been somebody that I've maintained, you know, some sort of contact with, even if it wasn't as much as I, as I wanted. Now that we're back in more consistent contact, I just want to thank you for, um, for your leadership in and doc and then your friendship since. Um, so, so thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've got a couple of awesome guests coming up. Um, 
not sure when this is going to go live, but I uh, did have the opportunity to interview Jack Carr. And so his episode is going to go live on the day that his next book goes live, which is Tuesday, May 17th. Uh, so nice. very, very excited about, about that particular episode. Um, and then we've uh, got a couple of others. Marty Scoland with Task and Purpose, where we talked about his transition from Coffee or Die and his relationship with those guys at Black Rifle and then kind of going into Task and Purpose and repurposing what they're doing, which is really important for, for the entire military community. So um, pretty excited about those particular episodes and there will be there will be more coming. Awesome, brother. Well, we'll be on the lookout. We'll get this turn. We don't know when it's going to drop either. That's the fun part about us. That's we, we all made the face when you're like, oh, you know, senior enlisted in content, right? We we're like, well, we're not very good at the content production. I'll no. tell you that much. <laughs> That's the issue. Well, uh, awesome. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time for everybody else out there. Train hard. We'll see you.